Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, open it to Ecclesiastes. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. We're continuing our series, Under the Sun. And as we've been looking at this book, we're we're coming now to a place where it's actually a little bit more personal. Solomon in the past has been really just kind of talking about his stuff. And we're going to move away from the stuff where the stuff has been, you know, the things that he possessed, whether it's about the power that he yields, whether it's about the wives that he has, the concubines, all these things that he has been trying to find meaning for life in and has been unable to. We're moving past his stuff and we're getting a little bit more introspective and inclusive about awareness of others. And so we're kind of coming to this point of what role do people play in our lives? And in chapter 4, starting at verse 4, it says, And I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls, and he has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. As Solomon starts off, his starting point really is kind of his perspective and his frame of mind in verse 4 where he talks about the things that we labor to achieve spring from a man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless. This is kind of keeping up with the Joneses mentality. And and isn't that so much the case? We live in such a consumer-motivated mentality. I read that most of the things we purchase, within six months, we either throw them out or discard them and use them no longer. In just six months' period of time, and think about Christmas time with your kids and the toys that you get them. You guys remember that? You'd buy them toys and it's like, where are they? Uh, they're on the floor. They're out in the yard. The, ran, the lawnmower ran them over. You know, it's like, oh, what was that? And they could care less. Like, I got millions of toys. I don't need anything else. But we are so motivated by this consumer and we see things and we want things. And things keep changing. They keep getting better. At least that's what they tell us. And it doesn't matter what kind of TV you have. Now they've got the LED. The LEDs are brighter. 
There's no burnout in the picture. They're cooler, use less energy. So how do you know all this stuff about LED TVs, Sam? Because I want one. <laughs> and then they have the 3D TVs. I don't want one of those, but it's always something else. And Solomon is saying, you know, the things that we desire, it's springing up out of this envy. You know, I want that car. Whenever we see an Audi, those little sport car cool ones, Karine says that's her car. Mine's the Porsche. She's got the Audi. We just want those things, and it springs out from envy. Oh, look at that. Oh, I wish I had that. You see a house. You watch those TV shows, you know, the Better Homes or whatever those things are called, and they show the kitchen, and the kitchen is big as this room, you know, and you think, oh, I want a kitchen like that, and I want a house like that, and oh, I want this. And we start striving for this stuff, and, and this is Solomon's focus. He, he starts from this point, this perspective, which is kind of a, a sad perspective, but this idea of toiling, this idea of striving. And here's a question as he moves forward with this idea of striving and wanting to have. The question is, is there more or less strife with other people in your life? What do you guys say? You think there's more strife with people in your life? It depends who they are. <laughs> yeah, usually there is. When you have people in your life, there's strife. It's kind of how it goes. Now, as you think that about someone else, know that someone else is thinking that about you, okay? Just keep that in mind so you have that balance. But is life better with someone else or by yourself? Well, that was a slow response. It's better. It's supposed to be. Even though it's more difficult. And you see, Solomon is moving us to this place where there's this understanding that no matter what you've done, if you are alone in the end, your life will be haunted by what you have neglected. And that is the relationships. The relationships that you neglect. The, verse 8, the man who was all alone had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. His eyes were not content with his wealth. And he wonders, what am I toiling for? I have no one to share this with. There is no one who is a part of my life. And you see, when we abandon everyone we love to get the things we want, we will find ourselves in this meaningless situation. And in the end, your life successes will not be measured by the stuff you have, but by the people in your life. And yet, we live in a time in a society where so many of us have neglected family. I don't know how many pastors I have talked to who have lost their family, have lost their children and because they are in ministry. And it's not just pastors. It happens to businessmen. They're so trying to keep the business going, trying to keep things running, that it becomes the priority. And so they put all their attention, all their focus on keeping that thing going, just keeping things happening so that they can earn more so that they can get those things that they want so that they can keep up with the Joneses and they find out that they start neglecting the people in their life. And it's a bad trade-off. And it doesn't seem to matter what we choose. If we choose something above people, we're making a bad choice. You see, your work 
will not put up with you as much as the people who love you. If you're late, you don't produce, you don't give the things that they want, they'll fire you. Your family can't do that. They're stuck with you. And you see, your wife, who you neglect, who you don't fulfill the need that you had vowed to do, she'll put up with you. She'll wait. She'll wait for you to spend the time with her and hopefully see her in that light that she hopes that you will. That you will give her your time, your love, your attention. And she'll put up with a lot more than your business will. But we neglect those who we love. We don't cater to them. We don't give them the time that we have promised. And the truth is, what we do give time for is what really matters. You see, I, I have people all the time say, oh, I'm too busy, man, I just can't do that. I just can't make it. You know, I, I really would, but, you know, work's pressing. If it's not work, you know, I've got to play golf with the guys. If it's not that, I've got I've these just engagements that I have to make. But the truth is, we make time for the things that we want. When you really want to do something, you work things out so that you can do it. If you wanted to see Captain America this weekend, you made time and waited a few hours in line. I know you did because we couldn't get in, because <laughs> you were there ahead of us for hours. And whatever it is you want to do, if you do want to play golf, you will make the time and set aside those hours in your day, in your schedule, in your weekend. If you want to work on that car, you make the time. You stay up late. You do whatever it is. And so the truth is, our time shows us what we really care about. Now, what we need to do is own up to what we really care about and see what it really is. And if we are giving ourselves over to this idea of getting things and doing things for ourselves, or is it for the people that we care for and the people that we love? We need to change how we live our life, and, and we need to recognize that a lot of times it's a lot easier to be very autonomous, very single-minded about ourselves than it is to be involved with others. And so what we do is we want to travel like water, that path of least resistance. And I'll just keep to myself because it's easier. I'll just go and watch TV because it's easier than the dialogue. I'll just stay on the computer, play the games, do whatever it is because it's easier than engaging people. And so we need to recognize maybe that's where we are. And you see, this is something that has been evident and, and we need to recognize these things about ourselves and that God has been trying to draw this idea of who people are being important to us. Jesus spoke about this in a parable in Luke chapter 16. If you want, you can turn there. And this is one of those parables I, I've shared about it a few times. It's one that always troubled me at first, but then understanding the meaning of it really kind of makes it clear. In verse 1 of chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, 
What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. In other words, you're fired. Long before Donald Trump. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked them first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth, here it is, to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now when I heard this parable, I thought, the, the master is commending the guy for being shrewd, but he's being shrewd with stuff that's not his. You see, it's not a good thing to cheat your master. You owe 800, oh, just make it 400. We'll call it square. That wasn't his stuff. How can he do that? But he was commended for acting shrewdly because what he did was he invested in people because people would be there to take care of him. You see, we have lost focus of the importance of people in our lives, and so what we do is invest in stuff. Get that retirement portfolio. So when you retire, you've got a nice nest egg there so that it will carry you. But you see, the stuff will not carry you like the people will. The stuff will run out. You will still find yourself alone. But if you invest in people, you will find that they will still be there long after the stuff has gone. And so his whole point was, people will welcome me into their homes, verse 4. If I work out good, then I will be welcomed. And Jesus' conclusion was that we are to use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. That doesn't mean, here, I'll give you 20 bucks if you'll be my friend. The idea is that you will invest in people, that you will see people as the most important investment instead of the things instead of the company, instead of the church ministry. Recognize that it really is about the people and the things that the people have. And verse 9, back in Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes on to a portion that we're very familiar with. We usually hear it at weddings. And I don't know if the context of what was on Solomon's mind was about marriage Probably not, but it's definitely a, a beautiful application. But as he goes on, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? And remember, this isn't a time before heaters. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so Solomon continues here against this pull towards autonomy, against this 
practical realization, you know, that it's easier to be alone, but it's actually better to be with someone else. It's better to have others in our lives. And that three-chord strand, whether it's including the Lord, which is a beautiful picture, or if it's just talking about more people, the idea is it's better if you're not by yourself. And he gives all these practical reasons, and they're obvious here. They make so much sense. But you see, we find ourselves pressing against this. Did you know in the 1950s, the average size of a home was 1,000 square feet or under? 1950s, the average home was about 1,000 square feet. The average home today is double that. It's 2,000 square feet or more. And what's interesting is the average size of the family in a home in the 1950s was double what it is now. And so you had twice as many people in half as much room. Where are we moving? We're moving to a place of autonomy. Every kid has to have their own room. They have to have their own TV. You go in there, you don't see them until it's dinner time. They come out, they eat, they go back in the room. Some of you are laughing because that hit home. And we have this place where we need more room even though there are less of us in that room. You know, there was a time when every kid didn't have their own room and that was the normal. No, you share that room with your three brothers. I remember Gil telling me about his bunk beds in his room. They had a triple bunk bed. I think it was homemade, wasn't it, Gil? No, it was actually they bought them that way. Have you guys even seen a triple bunk bed at the store? That's like OSHA has something against those, right? It's like not safe. Because I remember he telling me it fell one time. And so we're moving to this place where everyone needs their space and we're starting to become more and more detached from each other. And we start living lives that aren't dependent on each other. Uh, you know, but the whole idea of God is to move into space with other people. The word hospitality is actually two words in the Greek. The first word is phileo. The next word is zania. And it basically means to love, have compassion for strangers. So hospitality isn't about Martha Stewart making little jello things or having doilies on your table. Hospitality isn't about having friends over and having a nice bean dip. Hospitality was about caring for strangers. And it's interesting because that was one of the requirements. If a widow was to receive any help, she had to show that she was kind to strangers. She had to have hospitality. It was part of the requirements. If a person was to be an elder in the church, have some position of leadership, he was required to be a person of hospitality that cared for other people. And God has always been postured this way. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I'm supposed to... Oop, I went the wrong way, sorry. So... They were supposed to be kind to strangers, for they were strangers in the land of Egypt themselves. This was something that God wanted to keep them 
fresh in their mind. Remember these things. Remember you were a stranger when you left. You depended on the needs of others or the help from others. You need to keep this mind. In fact, I love this one translation of John 1.14. It says, The Word became flesh, speaking of Jesus and blood, and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that great? Michael thought it sounded like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was more Mr. Rogers. Just generational thing there. But Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He made himself available to those who were near him. He showed kindness to those who were strangers, foreigners, aliens, those who weren't wanted by society. In fact, when Christianity started, it started at a time where there was a lot of plagues and famine and many people were sick and died. But the Christians opened their homes up and welcomed them in. They brought them into their homes at risk of being sick themselves. In fact, many Christians died because of this inviting in those who were sick, diseased. But the message of Jesus lived far past it by those who they brought in. They said, these people are for real. They care about people. But we have lost sight of the importance of people. See, if a person doesn't recognize the value of people, they will never represent the person of Jesus Christ. And we are foolish to think that if we believe in Jesus but don't care about people, we're okay. What did First John say? How can you love God who you've not seen, but you don't love people who you can see? There's something missing. And so... There is this recognition of the importance of people in our lives and the importance of reaching out to people, to have people be a part of our lives. Without this connection of our lives, it becomes empty. You guys remember on Easter when you get the basket and they have the big chocolate bunny? And you're thinking, man, chocolate bunny! Huge thing of chocolate and you bite it and it's hollow. And you think, I've just been ripped off. This isn't even half as much chocolate. But if you get one of the solid chocolate bunnies, oh man, that'll last you at least 10 minutes. <laughs> but our lives so many times are just this hollow because we've separated ourselves. We pulled back and we want our comfortable life. We don't involve ourselves with people We live secluded in our bigger homes, in our more private spaces, separating ourselves from those around us. And it's affected us in the church as well. I was reading just even about the Lord's Supper, communion table. We've lost the supper. It's just now a little shot glass of juice and a cracker. But you see, in Corinthians, when Paul is talking about this in chapter 11, he says, And that night when the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks, said, This is my body broken for you. Take this, do this in remembrance of me. 
And then it says, and after supper, he took the cup. So you've got the bread and you've got the cup, but in between the bread and the cup was supper. We don't have supper anymore. And you see, what Paul was rebuking the Corinthian church for wasn't their disrespect for the bread or their disrespect for the cup. It was their disrespect for the people during the supper. Some of you aren't waiting for them. Some of you have plenty to eat and some are coming in that are hungry. Some of you are getting drunk. You're doing your own thing. The problem that they were having was this autonomy that they were secluding themselves from one another. They weren't caring and loving each other. That's what was done in an unworthy manner that he mentions there. And so we've taken this and we're going to have communion. You got your cup, you got your bread, you have it, you take it. Okay, we're done. Where's the supper? Where is the time where we as members of Christ's body, as the people who belong to Jesus, have time together? We, don't, we get uncomfortable. I don't know any of those people. So we back off. That's why last Sunday we had a potluck and prayer meeting. And it was a great time. There's about 13 of us that were there. And what's in my mind to do is, you know what I'd like to do is once a month, let's have supper and let's pray. Let's celebrate and acknowledge the Lord's communion together. But in that, we're also going to be together. And then we can also lift up the needs that we have for one another, caring for each other. But we have to want to be together. It's too easy to, to come to a gathering. Hi, everyone. Hey, yeah, hello. And we're gone. And we don't interact with people. We're, we're not connected with those who are around us. And you see, that connection is everything. That connection changes people's lives. Do you know how moving it is to someone when you just dialogue with them and they say, yeah, I'm having a difficult time, my son is in the hospital and he's going to have surgery next week. And you say, can I pray for him? Do you know how much that moves a mom to say you want to pray for her son? Do you know what that does to a person? You're, you're not giving them the gospel. You're living the gospel. You're involving yourself with people. Back in 2006... I went to Wales, Swansea, Wales. It was actually the second time I'd gone to Swansea. The first time in 2005 we'd gone and the trip was amazing. And a handful of us who were there in 2005 who had connected with this group of young kids, these high school and college students, went back. And we went with another group. And one of the things that was taking place is as we would go there and we would meet, there was groups and they would come out and start talking to these kids. And, and a couple of these kids here that we were talking uh, with, one was Andrew, I forget the other the kid's name. But they, you know, one of the guys from our group brought out his Bible and started witnessing to the guy. Started telling him, I'm right, you're wrong. And they just got into this big debate argument and they were just like, yeah, no, we believe this, we believe evolution, we believe this, the Bible's full of errors, blah, blah, blah. And this guy's, no, the Bible's is that. And there's this, this whole thing going back and forth, back and forth. 
as time went on, we just invited these guys to come hang out with us. And for a while, they'd kind of joke around with each other. They'd laugh at each other. You can't really see that picture, so I'll move to the next one. They would just kind of joke around with each other, but they weren't really a part of our group. But we started just including them more and more. Can't see that one either. Uh, <laughs> we just start, you know, kind of moving on. But pretty soon we started just hanging out with them, skating with them, befriending them, being a little bit closer to them personally, not even witnessing, quote, to them, just hanging out with them doing things with them. They actually were able to get a couple of skateboards, but as the time would go on, they would ask questions. And we'd get to answer some of the questions that we have. Well, what are you guys doing here? Why are you here? What, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you have opportunity to just start talking with them about those things that are important to you, but at the same time doing things that are just fun with them. Just hanging out. Here's my son. I was about to pat his head over here, right there. And as we started doing this, there became a change in their disposition. Pretty soon they started wanting to be with us. And it wasn't even about dialogue anymore. It was just about being a part of our group. We were staying at some dorms because it was the summertime and the colleges had gone for summer break. The dorms were open, and we took this whole flat of this one dorm where one side was the girl's side, and the other side was the guy's side, and they had this kitchen areas on both sides, and we'd have these people just come and just hang out with us, teach them how to make grilled cheese sandwiches. They didn't make grilled cheese sandwiches there. Can you imagine? It's good to be American. You know, they didn't have American cheese either, so that might have been one of the reasons why. But just enjoying that time with them, I remember one time we actually watched Napoleon Dynamite on someone's laptop that was there. Just spending time doing stuff that really didn't amount to a whole lot except getting to know these people. These guys, we'd had a raffle and they actually, these are the two guys who were combative with the one guy before and pretty soon they started hanging out, hanging out with us. By the end of the trip, these three young guys that we were hanging out with had made a confession that they wanted to follow Christ. They decided that they wanted what we had. And I remember talking to them and I said, what changed your mind? From that time when we talked and you were so combative and you were so against everything that we were positioning ourselves for, what changed your mind? And they just said, I just felt the love. So it wasn't that we changed their argument. I don't even know if their argument had any weight in their mind any longer. Pretty soon it was just about, we wanted to be with you. Because you guys just cared for us. And there's some sad stories. Some of these kids were living in, in homes where there's just a lot of, you know, parents who were alcoholics, a lot of difficult situations. Some of them were out of school basically not in school anymore, and they were only like eight years old, and just struggling, just hard, hard stories. We, we kind of landed in a rough group, but in this rough group, we found a soft spot, and it was just by caring for them, by loving them, and doing these things that touched their lives. And, and you see, what we need to do is recognize 
two is better than one. And I guess we first have to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do we really believe we're better with other people or do we just like doing things ourselves? Do we really want to open ourselves up to the lives of other people because, as we admitted earlier, it's messy. It's difficult. We have tension. Well, I don't like her enchiladas, you know? Uh, that's not me for my wife, by the way. I love her enchiladas. I'm just saying if you're using that as an excuse not to come tonight, it's a bad one. But we do have tension, don't we? We feel awkward around other people. We, we like our select few people, and we want to get into this place where we don't really believe that two are better than one. It, it, well, the two will be just me and my friend, will be me, my wife, me, and my family. And we don't extend ourselves more, even though Jesus came into our neighborhood and extended himself to us, giving us that example that we should do the same thing. And you see, the problem with Solomon, I believe, started with his perspective. In verse 4, where he starts off, he saw the labor and all he, the men's achievement. It sprung from envy of his neighbor. You see, he started just with this negative mindset in this way. And he thought all his toiling was meaningless. In fact, one of the things that he says there is verse 6, he says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. In other words, it's better, just it's easier just by yourself than involving some people in it being difficult. And sometimes that's our mindset. It's easier by myself. It's more difficult. And so we don't extend ourselves into the lives of others, even though hospitality is something that is to mark who we are as followers of Jesus. And that means loving strangers. That means extending ourselves to those we don't know. And so this is kind of time to take stock in our lives and see where we are and see if we have bought into this whole seclusion mentality where we just want our own home, our own walls. We want to shut the world outside of us because it's just too messy out there. And we don't realize that what we are hurting is ourselves, as well as neglecting those who are around us. You know, some practical things that we can do. Shop at the same place and get to know the people who work there. Get to know them by name. So when you see them, you don't say, hi, good morning. You say, hey, Sean, how's it going? You might even get free coffee out of those things. They get to know you. So there's perks to getting to know people. As you get to involve yourself with people's lives, they start knowing who you are. You start breaking down some of those uncomfortable walls. And you open up opportunity for discussion, just getting to know them. You know, maybe you can adopt a student Maybe you're an empty nester now. Your kids have moved out and you've got a room. Maybe you can rent that room out to a kid who needs a room for college. Extend yourself out. And I know what we think. Oh, but haven't you seen the Friday the 13th movies? And some Jason's going to come live in my house, you know. And he's going to wear a hockey mask, you know. And, and 
we, we've got this paranoia that we're so afraid. And yeah, you have to be wise, but you know, it, it's a dangerous thing to follow after Jesus. And it costs something. And if we don't allow it to cost anything, it becomes worthless. And, and so maybe opening your home up to these people, maybe adopt a grandparent. Maybe you decide you're going to go and visit someone at that home because their kids live in Michigan. And they are out here at a home in California and you've gotten to know them through your friend who works at this place or your hairdresser who you go to all the time and got to know them by going and just kind of repeating those things. Adopt, adopt a single mom family. If you know a mom and she has little kids, invite her over for dinner. Get involved with her life. Offer to babysit so she can go out and unwind. Involve yourself in her life. Just offer your services to help people. Maybe it's in tutoring. Hey, you know, I'm a, a teacher. I can help with your kids if they have any problems. If you want, I'll help them with their homework. Maybe that could be the single mom who's struggling just to make the ends meet, get the kids, come home, cook dinner, and now she's got to help them with homework. I have issues with homework. But maybe you can step in and be a helpful asset to her in that area of her life. Maybe it's even in tax preparation. Maybe it's a handyman, minor work that you can go and do some work for those people you know or need. Oh, I, I can do some minor plumbing. Oh, I hate plumbing. Right, Michael? Plumbing's bad. Gil's shaking his head. But maybe you can involve yourself in someone's life in that area you know, music lessons, helping their kids learn, play guitar, something like that. Now, if this is your profession, of course, you, you know, I know you need to make money, but you see the point is involving ourselves so that we are inclusive and not exclusive of people because we really believe that two are better than one because we believe that if we invest in people, there is a greater reward than just investing in a job and just investing in our portfolio. Because if we give ourselves to people, it will pay dividends that are rich. Because if we care like Jesus cared, if we love the strangers, if we move into their lives the way he's moved into our lives, we can actually see their lives changed and be the good news of who Jesus is to those around us. Now, here, here's the challenge, because I'm as shy as any of you. You're saying, you're not. I am. I, I, it took a lot for me to be able to step out into people's lives. In fact, one of the biggest helps for me in my faith was becoming a salesman. When I had to start selling hardwood, I had to go into places I didn't know, talk to people who didn't want to talk to me and try and present myself in a way that said, hey, I like you, or I like your wood. And it was stretching me. It took me outside of the box, and I found out that, you know what, if you step out, it's not as hard right after you step out, but stepping out is just terrifying. I'd go into this corporation, and I remember this one man, his name was Ginsburg, and everyone said, oh, stay away from Ginsburg, man. That guy's cruel. But he bought a lot of wood. 
and I needed to sell wood. And so I went into Ginsburg's place, and it was just this big warehouse. And I went there, yeah, I'm here to see Mr. Ginsburg. Who are you? I'm with, you know, this wood company. And he goes, well, do you have an appointment? No, I don't have an appointment. Um, well, I don't know if he can see you. I go, well, can you let him know that I'm here? And he goes, oh, well, okay. And, and I saw him, and he came walking by, and he's this grumpy, big guy looking with glasses. And he just kind of goes, who are you? You know, and I just wanted to run. You know, I just thought, I'm nobody, I'm sorry. I just got... <laughs> and I told him, well, I'm here. And he goes, well, what do you have for me? Give, give me your best, you got five minutes. Okay, <laughs> you know, here it is, like this. And I ended up having this great relationship with Mr. Ginsburg. We talked politics, we talked religion, he was Jewish. And he bought some wood from me, and he yelled at me a lot. <laughs> Said my wood was too expensive. That was just part of the relationship. But I had to step into that place that was uncomfortable. You guys, there are places that you're going to have to step into that are uncomfortable, that are hard, but two are better than one. And there is a better return for your labor. And some of those hard areas are going to be stepping into the lives of the people you don't know the strangers and being hospitable to them because two are good but a three chord strand is not easily broken and whether that's other people or whether that's bringing the Lord into that relationship with people it's an important reality that we need to understand that Solomon had a hard time which is why he found these things meaningless he just said ah it's easier one in your hand without problem it's easier than toiling with two that mindset will keep you alone. And some of us need to break that mindset in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I know how difficult it is to step out of our comfort zone. Lord, it's difficult for me. And I think we all have that in common. We find ourselves feeling insufficient, insecure, we think people are going to not like us. They're not going to be friendly. They're going to hurt our feelings. We're going to get betrayed. Maybe we've even been hurt. We've been betrayed. And so we're hesitant to do it again. But Lord, you have called us to community. Lord, you, you say that the church is individuals who make up a body. And... A healthy body is in need of every part. And so every one of us plays a part. And when we neglect to be a part of your work, we are neglecting who we are as the church. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to take those baby steps, to, to go into that place, to start that conversation, to open up our homes or to step into the homes to be a part of the lives of other people and to recognize that it's an investment. It's an investment into your working, not only in the lives of others, but in our life as well. And so help us, Lord, to take those first steps. Help us to be more inclusive than exclusive. Help us to recognize that this is what we were made for. We were made for community. 
and we only hurt ourselves if we neglect it. And so help us to invest properly. Help us to be people who are hospitable. And Lord, give us the boldness to make a change when it's necessary. And we pray and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.